WISIP is the first international project aimed at promoting Italian cinema, directed by women, which is also available in an accessible version. It was selected as a special project by the Italian Ministry of Culture. Signore e signori, buonasera. Welcome to New York University, Casa Italiana, Zerilli Marimo. It's a great pleasure to have a Friday evening that is going to be dominated by Italian women in cinema. And uh, we welcome this proposal that came to us from Federico Spoletti and his colleagues, uh, Open Arms, because there are at least two very important components to this edition in particular. One is to draw attention to women in cinema, not as an afterthought, but as a concept that should be explored, supported, learned, studied, and much more. And the other issue that will be discussed briefly, but that will probably develop uh, in a further uh, edition, is accessibility in cinema. Now, accessibility is a concept that you might have heard many times. It's one of these uh, buzzwords now, right, that everybody uses without knowing exactly what it is. It is extremely important to guarantee that everybody has access to media productions, and in particular to cinema. Otherwise, we run the risk of having fantastic cultural products that are going to be available only to some parts of the population. We have done historically that mistake many, many times in the past, excluding certain uh, categories of people. And we should not continue doing it for the present. So the issue of accessibility, it's an issue that is political, that is sociological, and that is cultural. And we wholeheartedly support uh, the work that you're doing. So without further ado, I'm asking Federico Spoletti to introduce in turn his colleagues and to maybe we should go over the, the scaletta, the... Okay, so Federico, facciamo insieme. So now the, the, the first part is with Federico that will talk to us about yeah, sure. what is accessibility. Yeah, short introduction about the project and then a few words about accessibility because as you mentioned, we're going to have possibly a dedicated a specific, event yeah. in, in spring 2023 here. If you, yeah, yeah, if you're absolutely. This first part. <laughs> absolutely. And then we are going to screen two uh, shorts, one by Jasmine Trinka, being my mom, and... Uh, a uh, second one called uh, Il Moro uh, by Daphne Vicinto, who is here. And uh, we are going to have a roundtable about uh, uh, women equality in the film industry, comparison between Italy and the United States with a number of uh, prestigious Italian filmmakers. And, uh, and then there will be um, a feature film, um, La Ragazza a Volato by Vilma Labate. Uh, she was supposed to be here, but she she could manage and they should be uh, present by Zoom. Okay. As it happens sometimes now. And Daphne is going to be here for a Q&A after her film. Yeah. So stay for that. Correct. Okay. So we have a packed evening. Now, Federico, so, you're going to tell us something about yeah, the project and accessibility in cinema. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Stefano, for, for having us. We're very excited to be here at the uh, Casa Italiana, uh, the home of culture, Italian culture in New York. Uh, WICIP uh, stands for uh, Women in Italian Cinema uh, Inclusive Project. We created this project to promote Italian cinema written, produced, directed by women uh, all over the world and also in an accessible format. So we have two components uh, in this project women and uh, inclusion. And as we mentioned before, uh, we, we, what, what do we do in this project? We 
show an Italian film, so we've been produced by women in a number of locations all over the world. And we started in Toronto in March. We have another we had another event in June uh, in yeah, in June in Orlando, and then after New York we're going to uh, Buenos Aires, uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Sydney, uh, Brussels, to a number of, of different locations and towns all over the world. And uh, we, we show films and we organize panels, roundtables, about uh, women's equality in the industry and about uh, accessibility. We strongly believe that uh, it's an experience that must be fully experienced by anyone, even by people who have some form of sensory stability. It's not uh, uh, a question of a small segment of audience, but it's there are big numbers, one person in six, at some point in their lives experience a form one form of sensory impairment. And so, uh, you know, if you, once you have an inclusive film, you need to create accessible features, which means uh, creating uh, subtitles for the Hubble theory, captions, like for here in the US, which means subtitles also with additional information about uh, noises, music, uh, character identification, uh, all those features that help people uh, with, with, with or, or have a hearing. And also uh, audio description, which means creating an audio comment that can be a listen uh, in the dialogue poses and helps people who is blind or low vision to go to the cinema and experience the, the experience of the screening in the cinema in a, you know, in a community. And uh, you will see that films will have some types of image and uh, the description is available through an app that is called the AirCatch, and, uh, and this app allows you to download for each film uh, the audio comment, and then synchronizes the audio that you can listen to your headphones in your smartphones, and in the house perfectly synchronized with the audio comment of the film. If you have one minute, you can download it and uh, and uh, try because the idea is also raise awareness with people that, you know, don't, don't need them. But uh, if you want to live in, in an inclusive world, and if someone can experience a film because the accessible features are not available, that's in a way a discrimination. And you don't take money from this space, but not everyone. The app is called ER Catch. E-A-R Catch. It's uh, one of the most popular European apps that helps. And people with the details and if you go to uh, the theater and the cinema. And um, but now I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to give the floor to Angela Prudenzi. Um, she, she's a producer, she's a film critic, she's part of the selection committee of the Venice Film Festival. She does so many things, and also she decided with me to try to uh, apply. Uh, to a uh, call by the Ministry of Culture, the Italian Ministry of Culture, uh, to promote Italian cinema. We presented this project that was selected and, uh, and also to media, in a way, one of the most popular in the world. Eh, grazie anche da parte mia eh, per 
aver accettato di presentare il progetto qui a Casa Italiana è un grande onore per noi e per me è una vera emozione perché significa molto essere con il progetto a New York tanti anni fa, veramente tanti anni fa, un, un secolo una straordinaria donna italiana, produttrice, regista Elvira Notari aveva aperto qua a New York una sede della sua casa di produzione, ma qua a New York aveva portato solo eh, la parte di distribuzione perché aveva un sogno, quello di eh, regalare agli immigrati che avevano dovuto lasciare l'Italia la possibilità di vedere dei film ambientati eh, nel sud dell'Italia, ambientati a Napoli e quindi di ricordarsi la, la patria che avevano dovuto lasciare. Ecco, eh, Elvira Notari è stata una una stella nel firmamento del cinema muto, una delle pioniere del, del cinema, tra le pochissime donne pioniere del cinema, però quando l'industria del cinema è diventata uh, un, un affare, è diventata un business, soprattutto un affare per uomini, e lei uh, ha sentito che quello non era più il suo mondo. Uh, nello stesso momento c'è stato l'avvento del fascismo, e la censura ha colpito duramente i film di Elvira Notari che parlavano di, di gente povera, eh, erano recitati in dialetto e, e raccontavano spesso di donne vittime eh, degli uomini e della violenza degli uomini e questo non era possibile raccontarlo. Adesso dopo tanti anni eh, le cose sono cambiate, stanno cambiando ma il cammino da fare è ancora lungo e ne parleremo dopo con con le amiche che sono qua e credo che proprio per questo sia importante essere qui eh, oggi insieme a delle registe di tante generazioni diverse e a dirci che la strada tracciata da Elvira Notari è chiara e che la vogliamo seguire fino in fondo. Grazie. Thank you very much. Um, to, I, I'm glad that I was able to be here to present at Casa Italiana. Uh, it is a great honor to be here, and I'm um, highly emotional. It means a lot to me. It means a lot also because um, I'm thinking that many years ago, many years, almost uh, a century ago, um, in this town, a, an Italian woman, her name was Elvira Notari, she was a uh, producer and a filmmaker in Italy, and she came to America, and here she opened offices for a production company and in um, New York she aimed to distribute Italian films but just not any film they were films that she meant to be shown to the immigrants Italian immigrants here who had um, had to leave behind their country and these films were often set in the south they were uh, mostly from Naples and they allowed the local immigrants to Uh, experience the, what they had left behind. She was a true star. She was a powerhouse. She was a star of silent cinema. And she was a pioneer at that. And, um, however, when cinema slowly turned into a business, it became a male-dominated business. And Elvira quickly realized that that was no longer her world. That was not what she wanted to do. Therefore, um, sadly, then fascism took over and censorship became uh, a force and 
a lot of her movies, which uh, had as protagonists uh, poor people, they were in dialect, and often they told stories in which women were victims of male violence, and they were no longer allowed to be. And therefore, she closed down her company. And uh, however, you know, many years have, have gone by, and the situation has now changed. Having said that, a lot still needs to be done. And I'm glad that we have an opportunity to talk about this here. There will be a panel with a lot of great uh, female filmmakers and producers, and we will talk about all of that. But I think it's very important to be here, that we're here today, and we are uh, honoring uh, the legacy of Elvira, and it's uh, extremely important that we continue to tread that path that she created for us. Daphne, Thank congratulations. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's a great pleasure. Uh, all my colleagues at, at New York University of Florence talked about you, talked about your film. You had a screening with the students there. Everybody was enthusiastic, so I couldn't wait. Congratulations. And this is a directorial debut. So it's your first film as a director. It is, yes. And you had already experience in cinema as an actor. Most yes, right? I started out as an yeah. actor. <laughs> and... It's not an easy debut. I mean, it's a costume film. It's an historical film. Expensive also. I guess. I mean, I've been living at my parents' house for the past year and a half because I can't pay rent. <laughs> but uh, um, no, I mean, jokes aside, um, we did it with a budget of around 30K and we shot it in four days. Um, uh, a lot of people came together to do this movie. A lot of people believed in the importance of the story that I was trying to tell and donated their talent and their um, props and their locations in order to make it happen. And Daphne, it's not by chance that your first film as the director, it's a film about these characters, these historical characters. Tell us something about you, and tell us something about this character. But first, about you. <laughs> um, well, um, so I was born and raised in a very small town in the northeast of Italy. Um, uh, well, the town is too small, but it's near Ravenna. Do you want to know the name of my town? Come on. It's called Bozzolo. Okay. It means cocoon. <laughs> Total of 4,000 people when I was growing up, 12,000 pigs. So okay. You cannot beat that. Oh, wow. See, <laughs> I always say that in my town, there are more chickens than there people. You go. We so, have more, yeah. more pigs. And there you go. So um, it's a small it's town in Romagna, near yes, Ravenna. Yes. Um, and, uh, um, well, I guess growing up as somebody who has a passion for um, storytelling, literature, history, uh, art, um, I was used not to see myself represented in the history of my own country. And uh, I got told that uh, that was just the way it was. Uh, the only history that apparently represented me uh, was the slave trade. <laughs> um, and so when I recently came across the character of Alessandro de' Medici, and I mean, I'm in my 30s, and I went three decades on this earth 
studying uh, in Italy, being educated in Italy and without knowing the story of this guy. Um, so when I found out, I just couldn't shut up about it. Um, and uh, um, I started out uh, with writing a pilot because his life is so incredibly rich and eventful that uh, a single feature film wouldn't be enough. Um, and this was uh, at the beginning of 2020, so I actually wrote the first draft of the pilot through the pandemic. Um, and uh, uh, the following summer when, um, you know, there was that break between lockdown number one and number two, I ended up going to see my parents in Italy and thinking to myself, what do I want to do? Do I want to wait for a production company to come and give me money to do this film and probably take it away from me and do whatever the hell they want, really? Um, or do I want to tell this story? And I've always wanted to direct. Actually, I've started um, having an interest in directing uh, when I was uh, in New York, because I studied here in New York. I spent five and a half years here. And... Uh, um, and and this just felt like the right story to start this new journey with. Um, and yeah, so I, I wrote a script for a short film and uh, put together all these collaborators and this incredible team that uh, became a small family for four days. And at the height of uh, uh, lockdown number two, we all ended up in these two incredible medieval castles in the province of Bologna um, that they let us for free. I literally paid a uh, hundred euros for each, for each castle. I don't know which gods were smiling on me, but they were. Um, and, uh, um, and yeah, we just locked ourselves into these castles and we shot. And we rushed to finish this uh, film, and um, four days weren't enough. Uh, I probably needed at least six to do what I really wanted to do. So, um, you know, rewatching it is always great, but I always also see all the things that I wanted to do differently. Um, but uh, other than that, I'm I'm really proud because my goal when I started um, this project was to bring this story as far as I could to as many years as I could. And um, today we're screening literally at the same time in two different places in New York City. Um, and uh, we just had this beautiful article come out on the Manhattan Herald. And I feel, you know, a little closer to that goal. You're, you are more than closer. You hit it. You hit the maybe goal. yes, maybe you're right. And Daphne, <laughs> do you think that the the fact, for example, that they gave you the castles basically for nothing? Did you tell them the story? Did you tell oh, them yes. the story? I mean, and what is the reaction you get, especially in Italy, mm -hmm. when you tell this story that everybody knows? You know that we know our Gonzaga, mm -hmm. our, yeah. our Medici. We do not, and you bring out this story that is incredible, and that no director in the previous centuries or ever bothered. Like we had. Two recent uh, film series, uh, TV series on the Medici. Mm -hmm. We had, of course, the, the documentary by Rossellini. We had a, a horrible uh, PBS documentary on the Medici produced here in America. Never a mention, never a word 
about the origin of these uh, men that was obviously remarkably different from the, from the other men that were next to him. So what is the reaction you get when you tell the story before they see the film? Well, I mean, I would start uh, with saying that uh, to this day, uh, where Alessandro de Medici rests in uh, um, San Lorenzo in Florence, he is in this uh, beautiful chapel um, sculpted by Michelangelo, and uh, it's the same chapel uh, where Lorenzo the Magnificent rests and uh, many other very important Medici men. Alessandro de Medici is the only person that is not mentioned in, you know, the signage for the tourists. Um, so I think that really tells <laughs> what the situation is. Um, and the reaction I get when I start telling people is, uh, I had no idea, mostly. A few people, actually, uh, one person in Florence said, oh yeah, we know, we're not supposed to know, but we know. Um, so... Uh, there are different there are different level of levels of knowledge out there. Um, I would say that most people I've talked to uh, really were supportive about telling this story. So, which is the only reason why I actually was able to pull this off. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, there are many more people out there that need to hear it, and hopefully, we can make something bigger out of this. Definitely. So it's an incredible story. His father was? The Pope. The Pope. It's actually controversial mm -hmm. because officially um, his father was uh, Lorenzo de' Medici, il Duca di Urbino. Uh, this is what was said. But uh, actually uh, quite a few historians, including the official historian of the uh, Florence Grand Duchy, so the successor of Alessandro, um, said... Uh, um, that Cosimo I told him in private that Alessandro was really the son of the Pope. Um, and today, historians tend to agree that uh, Clemente VII was his father. And the mother? The mother was a, a woman of African descent that may have been enslaved or just a servant in the Medici household. And there as well, um, I know there are controversies out there. Wikipedia will tell you differently. <laughs> um, but, well, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, Daphne, before you, we don't go down the rabbit yeah. hole. But there is also something to be said about slavery and enslaved people in Renaissance Florence. And mm -hmm. it's something that we don't really want to talk about because the story that we have of the Renaissance in Florence it's so beautiful, it's so glorious, and it seemed, you know, it was this utopian place where everybody had a chance and everybody was creating beautiful things, and it is true. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was also a component of the city that were enslaved. Yeah. And it's a very difficult story to deal with, even today. Don't you, don't you think so? Uh, yes. Uh, what I think is also interesting is the fact that uh, slaves back then were necessarily associated with black people. No. Um, actually, uh, the word slave comes from Slav, so person of Slavic descent, because most slaves were from there. Um, and uh, another interesting fact is that back then, racism wasn't what we know it today, so Alessandro's issue wasn't that he was black, but was his low birth, which was obviously a different 
kind of discrimination that uh, draws, I think, a very strong parallel to what is experienced today by a, by a lot of Afro-European people. Yes, and this idea of the legitimate and illegitimate children. And you, you I think it's in one of the blurb of the film, that at a certain point in the history of the Medici family, the main line is represented by three men that are all three illegitimate. illegitimate. Yeah. They were either born out of wedlock mm -hmm. or the mother was not um, a person that could be presentable in society. So yeah. there were all of them at these things, not to mention Leonardo da Vinci and many, many others. Um, so what was with these the illegitimate children and the fact that, as we would say in Italy, had una marcia in più somehow, uh, they were used to fight because nothing was given to them. They couldn't take anything for granted. And we had a, a student here in the, that did this competition called Palazzo Strozzi Foundation. Mm -hmm. She's a student in a public school here in New York, high school. And when it came to, and she prepared a paper on, on Leonardo, and when we asked her, what, is, what makes Leonardo special? And she answered, she, he was an illegitimate child. His father didn't recognize him immediately. And she went on saying, had he been a legitimate child, he would have been a notary like his father, and we would not know anything about Leonardo. Mm. So I found it very striking, the idea that being an illegitimate ch child, therefore having to fight for anything because you're going to be denied systematically everything, mm -hmm. makes you stronger and makes you more determined. Do you have any thought about this idea of the illegitimate children as a category that have to show something more? Well, I think it's uh, such a strong parallel again with what happens today uh, if you ask a lot of uh, um, Afro-European people and I think that the experience goes for African-American as well, they will tell you that um, they feel like they have to be 100,000 times better to get where they need to get than their peers. So I guess 500 years of history hasn't, haven't changed much in a way. Thank you so much. The Q&A is, of course, also for you, your questions. I don't want to monopolize Daphne, even if I could talk to her for an hour and a half. Yes, please. She's a student of mine. She's very good. <laughs> Thank you, um, Professor Stefano's class. And I wanted to ask you, I heard him comment about the color palette. I wanted to ask, why did you go with those colors and the tones between the scenes that we see changing mm -hmm. when we start in one room, the lighter and then the darker? Is that part of the progression of the film? Yeah, I wanted to start in a way where Alessandro wouldn't be as prominent because uh, I felt that that was his... Um, his being up until that moment, he kind of was always the plan B. Um, and I wanted the um, light and shadows to reflect that. And as the film goes by, he comes more and more in the light. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to light uh, detail, certain details as much as I wanted because of the four days and the time constraints. Um, but that's the concept behind it. And uh, when we location scouted and we found these red rooms, burgundy rooms, um, 
it it just it went well with uh, uh, the mood of the story and the costumes as well. Uh, if you see the paintings of the characters, uh, both the cardinal and uh, um, the pope have these red and burgundy robes. Um, so then everything kind of shifted in that direction, and we found this incredible costume, the one Alessandro wears with uh, the red um, giglio. Um, and uh, yeah, so it kind of, in a way, constructed itself, and we just took what we had and uh, did the best we could. <laughs> I really loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm also a student in Stefano's class, um, and we recently watched The Decameron by Pasolini, and a big thing in that movie was that the dialect used in the movie wasn't the same one that Boccaccio used in Decameron, so I wanted to know if the spoken dialect you used in the movie, was there any stylistic choice in, in that, or was it just what is the most commercial one and like what most people can like easily understand in today's day and age? Um, I wanted to draw this fil rouge between the past and the present. So I kept the dialogue, I would say, somewhat contemporary um, with, you know, a little tinge from the past. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, yeah, so that was my choice. And for me, the dialogue... And I, it's, it's dialogue heavy and I am a hundred percent aware of it, but I like it. <laughs> um, so it's okay. Um, and, uh, I just wanted the words between them to really, um, reflect the music of their souls. Uh, so especially in the dialogue between the Pope and Alessandro when they're at the altar, um, I, I just wanted that to have a certain rhythm and a certain musicality that um, really talked of the pain they were inflicting each other, willingly or not. Now that you have this beautiful film to show, um, are you optimistic that you will get the funding to do what you want to do? Well, hey, New York City. I mean, I'm here. Let's just do it. <laughs> um, uh, am I optimistic? Well, I am optimistic. I'm an optimistic person. I think that if I weren't optimistic, I would have done a period drama for my directorial debut. Everybody thought I was crazy, uh, which might be right. Um, but um, yes, the answer to that is yes. I don't know when. I don't know how. And what I know is that I will work as hard as I can to keep it as authentic as I can because we, we know that production, production companies and productions have certain requirements. Um, but I am working day and night on uh, making this project something bigger and uh, I hope to get there. Thank you. And we wish you all the best. The only one promise when the Big thing comes out, you're going to come back and present. Of course, it. I'm going to come back before then. <laughs> thank you. Please thank again, you. Thank, thank you so much. Daphne Di Cinto. So, yeah, I, I really apologize about this. Um, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, I have another QA starting at 6 35, 10 blocks away, so I'm <laughs> going to have to leave you all. So, we have um, the round table now, discussion show. I invite all the Guest, the, the other Thank women director. Grazie, Daphne. Grazie, Cara. Oh.
Okay, um, let me introduce uh, the illustrious panel to you. Uh, you can see their impressive bios on the handout in that you have uh, that you that you got when you came here. Um, so let me just start with um, from far away uh, from Rome, Vilma Labate, who you see behind me, um, film director um, and producer, whose film "The Girl Has Flown." you are going to see right after this panel. Um, here on the stage, we have um, Antonietta De Lillo, um, claimed director and producer, um, Elisabetta Lodoli, right here, um, director and screenwriter, um, Federica Belletti, right next to me, um, producer, and um, Angela Prudenzi, whom you've met before, who is a film critic and producer and who is responsible for this event tonight. Um, so uh, a translator for us will be Lilia. You also met her earlier. Um, when I was invited to moderate this panel, I thought about a quote from... Italo Calvino on folktales. In his introduction uh, to his volume on Italian folktales, he um, uh, remarks, um, he remembers the, the following Tuscan proverb, which is, the tale is not beautiful if nothing is added to it. And I thought that was just very fitting about storytelling and about uh, cinema today. So I want to start, Angela, with you. Um, where are we at? What is the status quo of um, uh, the, the situation, women in film in Italy right now? Dunque, eh, qual è la situazione? Eh, credo che questa sia la, la domanda chiave. All'inizio, quando ho salutato... Uh, voi che siete qua oggi ho detto che le cose stanno cambiando e che appunto da quando Elvira Notari aveva aperto la sua società di distribuzione qui eh, molti anni sono passati però credo che la vera domanda non sia eh, stanno cambiando ma quanto sono cambiate fino adesso e purtroppo la risposta non è così positiva perché siamo ben lontani dal traguardo del 50-50 di cui parliamo da anni e la parità di genere eh, all'interno dell'industria eh, audiovisiva, parliamo sia di cinema che di televisione e audiovisivo in generale, è ancora lontana dall'essere raggiunta. Well, um, this is a key question. What is the situation like right now? When uh, we first met, I closed off my um, welcoming statement by saying that things are changing. And yes, we've come a long way since Elvira Antari's time. However, the true question is not are things different or not, it's how much are they different? And sadly, the answer to this question is... Um, not very positive. 
we are still very far from the goal of a 50-50 split and gender equality in the audiovisual industry, and I'm including cinema and television as well, is not a reality yet. Per uh, farvi capire meglio, credo che sia necessario uh, dare qualche percentuale, mm, non, senza annoiarvi, ma solo uh, alcuni numeri, perché i numeri sono quelli che danno... Uh, che fanno la differenza e i numeri dicono qualcosa di molto preciso eh, rispetto alla regia eh, nell'indagine che è stata fatta eh, nel mondo dell'audiovisivo tra il 2017 e il 2020 eh, non sono ovviamente ancora eh, pubblici i risultati che riguardano il 2021 e neanche il 2022 eh, che stiamo ancora vivendo ehm, questi dati ci dicono che nel mondo dell'autovisivo eh, i registi sono 1125 e le donne 213 insomma già credo che queste due cifre eh, diano le, la dimensione esatta della differenza che c'è eh, nel mondo del lavoro a livello di eh, regie tra eh, uomini e donne non va meglio negli altri campi eh, il montaggio sono 827 uomini e 279 donne nella musica poi eh, veramente sembra una, un deserto 377 eh, musicisti di, insomma direttori eh, di colonne sonore e eh, 28 donne eh, però c'è un campo in cui le donne eh, sono in maggioranza e cellono e indovinate quale è quello del make up 409 uomini e 1.004 donne un'eredità che, che evidentemente si tramanda e dalla quale le donne non riescono a liberarsi perché eh, insomma si parla di trucco e quindi eh, quello è il mondo nel, nel quale evidentemente si pensa che le, uomini, che le donne si possano esprimere al meglio in order to better understand, I'd like to quote some figures. You know, I want to talk about percentages. I don't want to bore you with that, but I think it's important to look at numbers so that we can truly feel what it's like. Let's talk about how many uh, directors we have, how many are male and how many are female. We have a study that mm, is about the time frame between 2017 and 2020. There's no publicly available data for the 2021-2022 time period. So uh, if we look at that, in terms of directors, we have 1,115 men and 213 women. So yeah, you see that there's a huge gap there. And um, so definitely in terms of the sharing of responsibilities or in the industry, definitely no equality. And in the rest of the film industry and television industry, it is not any better at all. For example, for editing, we have 827 men and 279 women. And for the music department, in terms of scores for films and television products, um, it's a desert in terms of women. We have 377 male mm, composers or um, musicians, and only 28 women. Yet, there's one field in which women do excel, and can you guess which one it is? Well, 
It's a makeup world in which we have um, 409 men and 1,004 women. Why is that? Well, it's makeup. I guess the common wisdom is that women are good at that. And um, so this explains to you exactly what the world is in the film industry regarding equality of opportunities. Ecco, sono numeri che fanno particolarmente male. E qua, insomma, ci sono delle, delle registe e credo che anche a loro faccia male. Eh, e pensare che noi siamo eh, il paese che non solo ha espresso eh, Elvira Notari, che è una delle, come dicevo prima, una eh, delle pioniere del cinema, ma siamo anche il paese dove eh, ha vissuto e dove ha lavorato Lina Vermuller, che è stata la prima donna eh, regista a essere candidata all'Oscar. Ecco, eppure questo non, per decenni eh, non ha portato alcun vantaggio alle donne. Accanto a Lina Vermuller eh, c'è stata solamente eh, Liliana Cavani. Poi, poi si sono affacciate tante altre registe, ma con estrema difficoltà sono riuscite a entrare nel, nel mondo del lavoro e farsi accettare eh, dalle produzioni. E, anche adesso eh, i numeri eh, magari possono sembrare, eh, come dire, ci, può dare, possono dare l'impressione che ci sia un, un cambiamento, eh, però se li guardiamo bene, eh, se analizziamo cosa ci sta dietro quel numero di donne registe, eh, si scopre che molte di loro eh, sono autrici di cortometraggi o di documentari, cioè eh, opere in cui il budget è molto più basso e quindi è più facile affacciarsi alla regia, mentre quando si parla di lungometraggi eh, di nuovo nascono i problemi perché eh, è sempre difficile eh, per una produzione eh, accettare di eh, letteralmente mettere in mano eh, il, il denaro che conta, eh, nelle, metterlo nelle mani di una donna, è come se ci fosse ancora una sorta di, di difficoltà ad accettare che una donna possa tenere in piedi una troupe e, e farsi ascoltare eh, da dei reparti che sono mh, tradizionalmente eh, anche quelli eh, pieni di uomini. These numbers do hurt and we have um, female filmmakers around me and I'm sure they suffer because of this as well. Uh, especially when we think that Italy is the country that uh, created Elvira Notari, who was a pioneer at her time. And also, it was the country that uh, gave birth to Lina Vermuller, who was the first woman who was nominated uh, for an Oscar, the first woman director. And yet, for decades, next to Vermuller, you only had uh, Liliana Cavani, And yet, after some time, there have been other uh, female filmmakers that reached some level of success, but always with significant challenges. Uh, it is very hard for women to be accepted by uh, production companies to be the leaders of a big project. Um, when we, you look at the numbers, you may even be fooled by them because they're not all that small in and of themselves. However, if you do um, analyze them in a more granular fashion, you will realize that a lot of these women filmmakers 
end up making shorts or documentaries, which are projects with a much smaller budget, and therefore it's easier to get them made. When you look at feature-length films, well, that's when problems come up. And it's still difficult for a production company to accept that to give money and to put money in the hands of a woman, as if a woman is still not considered mm, qualified enough to hold a crew together or to uh, make sure that her crew listens to her the way men have been doing for a long time. Il panorama eh, sia più positivo per quello che riguarda le attrici, eh, perché non è così. Eh, anche in questo caso eh, gli uomini eh, la fanno da padrone, si scrivono eh, ancora oggi eh, film con protagonisti maschili e noi abbiamo in Italia probabilmente solo una donna che davvero eh, può eh, dettare legge come i colleghi maschi e mh, Paola Cortellisi che è una... Uh, attrice uh, che scrive anche i propri film e quindi forse questo vuol, vuol dire qualcosa uh, e pensare non voglio rubare tempo perché credo che sia giusto che parlino uh, le, le registe um, pensare però che eh, quando uh, finalmente i film di donne vengono presentati nei festival bene, vincono mediamente molti più premi eh, dei film dei colleghi uomini questo ci dovrebbe far riflettere e soprattutto dovrebbe far riflettere i produttori e non costringere le registe a diventare anche produttrici di se stesse perché è un doppio lavoro mentre dovrebbero essere creative anche se la produzione è qualcosa di creativo e meraviglioso ce lo dirà Antonietta De Lillo però perché costringerle anche a pensare a occuparsi della parte finanziaria Cosa che non viene richiesta ai, ai registi uomini. I don't want for you to think that the situation is better for uh, actors because in that field as well, um, men are still uh, protagonists and it's uh, very difficult for um, women to be uh, regarded the way they should. So many movies are still written with a male as protagonists with no regards to the female character. Uh, in Italy, there's only one uh, woman act actor, an actress, Paola Cortellese, who is a good actress and she ends up writing her own scripts. And uh, so I don't want to take up much more of your time because uh, I, I want to give the floor to uh, the producers and filmmakers we have here. But I think it's, it's very, very important for production companies to remember this because then when you have films made by women uh, who end up in film festivals, on average, they end up winning a lot more awards compared to films made by men. So... Uh, we should reflect upon that and women shouldn't be forced to become also producers of the movies that they want to direct and there's nothing wrong with becoming producers and actually um, Mr. Lilo here is a great producer and she'll talk to us about that as well but I'm saying that women shouldn't have to do both jobs they should be able to focus on the creative part without having to worry about taking care of the financial part as well uh, which is a problem that men generally don't have.
Uh, I thought my statistics, when I looked at the feature uh, conversations that I had with Italian filmmakers, I counted the last 61, and uh, 21 were with women, and 40 with men. So um, it's not so bad when you look at the numbers. Uh, Antonietta, I would like to start with you and to do a follow-up on the um, on the question that was raised. Uh, um, as a director, did you have to become a producer to be a director? Allora, innanzitutto buonasera e sono contenta di essere qui a Casa Italiana che è, di ritrovare il direttore che sono stata qui una decina di anni fa e quindi grazie mille per, uh, ad Angela, per, uh, Angela Prudenzi e Federico Poletti per aver creato questa occasione. E sono stata costretta... Allora, vorrei dire una cosa, che eh, io sono contenta che ci sia questa occasione, ma spero che fra dieci anni ci incontriamo e parliamo di altro. Questo è eh, il più grande desiderio che, che ho, cioè nel senso che mh, dovrebbe essere tutto già normale, dovrebbe essere già tutto fatto e invece non è così. First of all, uh, good evening everyone. I'm very happy to be here um, back at Casa Italiana and to see the director of Stefano Albertini again. Uh, I was here 10 years ago and I have great memories and I want to thank um, Angela Prudenzi and Federico Spoletti for creating this opportunity for all of us. Now, I'm happy that we're here and that we're devoting attention to this topic, but my true hope is that in 10 years' time, when I come back again, we will no longer need to talk about this. Uh, my hope is that it will be over, it will be a given, and um, we will no longer need to focus on it. Um. Io ho iniziato a fare questo lavoro nel 1985 e eh, devo dire che i primi vent'anni della mia vita non ho avuto alcun problema, cioè nel senso che venivo da una famiglia dove c'era un gran matriarcato, non da piccola, quindi pensavo che tutto questo fosse superato. E credo invece improvvisamente, devo dire, eh, si è alzato un muro enorme davanti a me ed è, non è tanto il problema di le donne riescono a dirigere, le donne riescono, lo fanno e lo fanno benissimo. Il problema è che quando eh, devi entrare nell'industria spesso succede qualcosa per cui non hai più un credito perché appunto è più facile eh, ed è più normale nei posti di potere ci sono già gli uomini che scelgono gli uomini, ci sono delle situazioni per cui le donne si parlano, che le donne siano eh, a parlare, sono più brave, sono più, sia, siamo più non so che cosa. Poi però quando devo, dobbiamo avere dei posti di potere difficilmente vengono eh, diciamo, occupati dalle donne. I started um, during this job in 1985, and for the first two, 20 years of my life, I never thought that being a woman would be a problem, because I come from a family that's deeply matriarchal, so I thought that this was a non-issue. And then suddenly, it's as if a huge wall came up right in front of me. It's not an issue of wondering whether women can or cannot be successful because of, the, of course they can and they make movies and they do that very well. But when one 
um, starts to approach the industry, um, something happens and women lose credit. It's as if, um, you know, men are in a position of power and other men talk to them and they talk among each other and women are seen as good when it's time to talk, but then not when it's time to implement. Because whenever uh, the true power is at stake, they end up not having it. Um, quindi, io personalmente ho avuto una battuta d'arresto molto forte perché ho difeso un mio film e, e a torto, a ragione, uh, sono stata molto diretta con parti import importanti delle istituzioni. E quando una donna, uh, diciamo, uh, secondo il, il potere sbaglia, secondo me viene, col viene colpita di più di un uomo, viene punita di più di un uomo. Personally, I um, had an issue and I had to stop because at some point I defended one of my projects very strongly before an important uh, person who had a privileged position and I find that when a woman makes a mistake she ends up being punished a lot more harshly than a man would. Però noi donne siamo anche molto determinate quindi l'idea di eh, produrre eh, cioè diciamo quando ci sono degli ostacoli siamo abbastanza eh, propensi a costruire non so come dire costruiamo Uh, anche, anche culturalmente quindi l'idea di costruirsi una propria casa una propria casa di produzione è una forma di resistenza di resistenza anche uh, a delle cifre che come diceva Angela uh, Prudenzi sono delle cifre che uh, perché quelle sono importanti quelle denotano come dire uno squilibrio perché io posso parlare, ma uno dice, ah, io conosco tre persone che fanno le registe, non è vero che ce ne sono poche, ma invece è, alla fine le cifre parlano molto di più di quello che posso dire io o che può dire chi, chiunque altra collega. Quindi eh, l'idea di, di eh, produrre è un'idea di resistenza, è un'idea anche di eh, prendere, non è un problema di occupazione delle donne, è un problema che le donne devono... Uh, raggiungere diciamo così dei livelli di uh, apicali per poter veramente incidere e, e, e avere una vera e propria rappresentatività che fa bene a tutti however um, as women we're very determined and when we face a, an obstacle we tend to want to build upon it uh, culturally it's that way so building or creating one's own production company is an act of resistance. Um, we saw the numbers, Angela mentioned them, and they do um, scream. It's a, it's a deep imbalance, and you know people can say, oh, anecdotally, I know three filmmakers, three women filmmakers, so it's not true. There's very many women filmmakers, but the statistics are there, and they speak very loudly. So production uh, becomes resistance and um, us women need to reach um, top levels, executive levels because in order to make an impact we need to be active at that level. 
Eh, ovviamente nella no, mia piccola casa di produzione il problema non sono le quote rosa ma sono quelle eh, azzurre cioè nel senso che è, eh, è la ricerca di avere un equilibrio anche di presenze maschili e non solo femminili uh, in my uh, small production company the issue is not so much having uh, more women but rather the other way around is we need to include more men e, ovviamente lì dove l'industria in qualche modo mi ha uh, creato dei, delle grandi barriere io ho iniziato a fare documentari ho iniziato a fare film partecipati ho iniziato a aiutare i giovani cioè ho, uh, ho iniziato a fare quello che mi era possibile fare ma la mia esperienza non è isolata e sono esperienze di tante altre donne infatti ci sono molte documentariste cioè ci sono molte donne che non riuscendo a gestire budget per vari motivi che abbiamo detto a, uh, grandi realizzano uh, documentari o anche perché gli interessa la vita uh, diciamo più il cinema della realtà da quello della finzione e, e questo penso che sia una strada Uh, diciamo ottima per uh, poter essere non solo padroni del proprio cinema ma poter aiutare anche altre donne poter uh, diciamo uh, contribuire ad avere una, uh, una parità uh, di genere che non è solo numerica ma è anche di dare alle donne quella responsabilità che tutti invocano ma che nessuno gli dà. So wherever uh, the industry put an obstacle in front of me, uh, well I decided to turn that into an advantage and I uh, started making documentaries and also what I called participated films and I started helping young people. I did whatever I could. Um, and that's not something that I just did on my own. There's very many women that decide to become documentarians. Um, And they also do that because they're interested in telling stories that are real stories. And um, this is a, an excellent path to be followed, which leads women not to just to create their own cinema and, make, to, and tell their own stories, but also uh, to help other female filmmakers, which is the only path that we can follow to have equality in between genders, which is something that everybody talks about, but nobody truly works to implement. Shall we, let's see, uh, maybe Vilma also, who is uh, here with us from Rome, would you like to um, talk about your experiences and also about um, your work with America? Vilma, ci puoi parlare delle tue esperienze e in particolare magari partiamo dal tuo rapporto con l'America? Beh, il rapporto con l'America è, è stato molto profondo perché per ovvi motivi di età faccio parte di una generazione che aveva vent'anni negli anni 70 e quindi scopriva il cinema americano degli anni 70 che è stata un'esperienza per me molto formativa e importante anche perché ho continuato a seguire le sorti di, di Hollywood e il cambiamento radicale di Hollywood che quel cinema ha provocato a Hollywood. Um, 
volevo raccontare un episodio che mi è accaduto moltissimi anni fa a proposito di quello che si è detto fino adesso eh, avevo una bellissima storia fra le mani molti molti anni fa e cercavo un produttore importante che la finanziasse fui ricevuta da una famosissima produttrice una donna molto ricca, molto potente, molto bella era alta due metri e fui ricevuta da lei con un, un abito elegantissimo, un taillier, ancora me lo ricordo, un taillier di Chanel con una minigonna molto corta, dei tacchi molto alti e lei, io ero seduta, un po' spaventata e lei camminava avanti e indietro parlandomi a tratti e a tratti telefonando. Eh, le piaceva moltissimo la mia storia lei mi disse se me la vendi ti faccio un contratto per tre film ma per tre commedie perché per girare questo film quello che poi io ho girato che si chiamava la mia generazione ci vuole un manico per la traduzione un manico in Italia è un signore che guida molto bene che ha anche un grande membro questo intendiamo noi per manico e non puoi farlo tu okay, my relationship with America is very deep And I, um, in terms of my age, you know, I was 20 in the 70s. And so I grew up with um, American cinema of the 70s. And it was a very important uh, formative experience for me. And then I kept following Hollywood. And I was really impressed by how that industry has changed in such a radical way. And all the societal changes that were implemented because of that. Um, now, I wanted to tell you a story that truly happened to me many years ago. It's a, I had a, written a beautiful story and I was looking for a producer that could, um, get the project started and find financing. And I met with a very famous producer, uh, who was a woman. She was, uh, rich and, uh, um, She was rich and uh, beautiful and tall, you know, almost six feet tall. And she was wearing this very elegant suit, this Chanel suit, with a really short mini skirt and really high heels. And during the meeting, I was sitting there with her, and I was really um, afraid of her. She kept uh, walking up and down, pacing the room, and between the talks, she would take off and you know, make calls and at the end of it she told me look I love your story and if you're ready to sell it to me I'm going to sign a contract for you for three movies and but the other three need to be comedies because in order to make this movie and it's a movie that I ended up making and it trans the title translates as my generation you need what in Italian is known as umanico which translates as a handle 
And a handle is a man who is good at driving, but most importantly, who has a big dick. Posso dire un'altra brevissima cosa? Can I say another beautiful thing? Yes, of course. Certo, of course. Of course. Posso? May Ab- I? Absolutely. Certo. Io credo anche che um, le donne facciano qualche volta, ma ormai mo- sempre più spesso, un cinema abbastanza diverso perché hanno uno sguardo e un linguaggio completamente diverso da quello degli uomini e raccontano storie diverse. Basta pensare, non so, a un film come Titan che ha vinto a Cannes e questo probabilmente disturba un po' perché il cinema femminile è un po' meno fortunatamente istituzionale di quello maschile e quindi come sempre siamo un po' scomode anche come artiste I believe that um, women sometimes but more and more so make a different kind of cinema because they have a different outlook uh, compared to men and Let's just think about Titan, that one can. So the kind of movies that we make tend to disturb um, because it's a kind of cinema that's less institutional as opposed to what men make. So as usual, we are uncomfortable or we make people uncomfortable also as artists. Um. Elisabetta, I saw you were taking notes while the others were talking. Uh, would you like to continue here with your experiences? So I will try to, to speak in English. Seeing that I studied cinema in the United States at the California Institute of the Arts, in CalArts in Valencia, California. And why I want to to the state to study because uh, when I decided to that I wanted really to to work in in cinema in film and learn how to make film um, in Italy I couldn't do it I was too old I remember I was 28 and there were not many film school and so I'm talking about the access of women also to you know, to school, to education. So I couldn't, uh, there was only the Centro Sperimentale di Cinematografia in Roma, which has a great tradition, but there is, a, you can't apply, at least at that time, if you are more than 25. So I said, what can I do? So... This is a problem. Nowadays, I can say that there are more film schools. There is another important film school in Rome, which is... Uh, uh, um, thank you, Gian Maria Volante. There is a, another important film school in Milano. There are, not that, there are many little schools, but there are not many important film schools in Italy. But I think that these film schools have been... Uh, 
a good way for women to learn, especially the new generation. Because if you look who are the women who are working in film now, who are direct film directors, the new generation, I'm talking about women around 30, 40 years old and even younger, they mostly come out from the school, which once instead you learn doing film, uh, going on the set, being part of the crew and in, in a different way. So what I was, uh, because I belong to the same generation of, of uh, Vilma, I, I agree with her uh, about the consideration and the love for American film of those years. No, the, the first independent film, move, American film that came out in the 70s when they... No? Oh, excuse me. Thank you. Grazie, Pino. <laughs> no, the Hollywood, when Hollywood... Uh, I mean, the great producer. You were asking before why uh, if it's a burden for a woman being a producer. And I don't think so. Women who are producers also have a great advantage of being able to to control what they do. And so in, in, uh, in the Hollywood here at that time, the, pro the independent film director were also producing. The independence came from the possibility to produce themselves, to produce their film. So talking about <laughs> Italian cinema and Italian women in, in film, I know that the, the numbers are quite sad, but what can I say that actually another thing that I share with uh, what um, Vilma was saying before is that the new generation of film directors, but not only the new one, I mean the few women who are film directors actually are more uh, outreachy, we can say auteurs mm -hmm. uh, in, in the French way. So they, if they have the strength, the energy to stay in this difficult world is because they can also, I mean, they fight for... Uh, what they really want to say, and it's more personal and, in this way, artistic film. This doesn't mean that there are not f women who work in the industry, um, also in, in TV. My personal experience was that at a certain moment I start directing a TV series and was quite difficult. At, at that time, I also was one of the few women uh, directing a TV series for our national broadcast, RAI. And I remember the crew. I had a crew that wasn't really believing at the be beginning that I, was, I could be able to, to work for a Six months in the row with forty people in the crew. In the crew, sorry, <laughs> and so it was difficult. Now is is getting a little better. So we can also talk about what is better now, in a way. If the number are bad, that doesn't for women. That doesn't mean that there are not good film director, women film director around that and with their film can also reach. Uh, outside of the country, no. You you work for film festival for Venezia film festival, and 
And you know, now there are good Italian film directors that with their work are able also to, to travel outside of Italy. And there is also, talking about the, the TV world, able also to direct TV series. No? I think, for instance, about Valeria Golino in this moment. No, Valeria Golino started his career as an actress, and then she became also a, a director, and now she's also a producer, and she's going to uh, produce a, a new TV series no? from a, an Italian um, novel written by a woman, Goliarda Sapienza, The Art of Joy. So there are, no, I'm, I'm taking a good example also not to be so negative. It's not easy, but she, she there is some possibility also. Definitely. Not to give up. Quality, <laughs> yeah, quantity is not quality. Um, I want to, Federica, I want to bring you in. Um, uh, to the conversation. I saw your interview on the New Yorker uh, with Sophia Loren, and you asked her a question, um, what was the best, who, who gave you the best advice? And her answer was, Sophia, me, myself. Um, and I thought that was very impressive. So who gave you the best advice? <laughs> Um, well, thank you, and thanks, everybody. Uh, I'm feel, I just wanted to say very quickly that I feel very honored to be here tonight amongst these amazing filmmakers and women. Um, that's a great question. Who gave me the best advice? I think um, there, isn't really, uh, there isn't really a person. I feel like it's been, I think, I think it's I can point out an experience that has been um that that sort of enabled me to to be comfy, to 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 get the confidence that I needed in in order to just uh, you know uh be bold about the things that I wanted to do it wasn't really a person um for for me in in my life it was the experience of um just be a part of a very special festival in Italy. That's that's the Gifoni Film Festival, which Italians probably know pretty well. Um, it was something I saw growing up in the TV you know, on the TV while I was in you know my little apartment in Market, and then I I was uh, lucky to be part of as a juror later on in my life and and it was the experience and what the reason why I bring that up it's because it was the shared experience of community and the discussion around films that weren't uh, mainstream and available um, at movies uh, about subject matters and things that I um, had no idea about and so um, th that um, yeah, I think that the people I met at Gifoni were um, were really um, sort of the people who sort of uh, pushed me to and gave me the best advice in a way. Um, and yeah, I hope that answers. Yeah, yeah. I I would like to ask actually there's something that I'm very curious. You all in the film industry, what made you uh, fall in love with cinema in the first place? Um, was it a particular movie? Was it an actor, an actress? Um, 
just a, an experience, somebody you went to see a film with? I don't know. Who wants to start? Uh, for me, it was probably um, the first time I saw Roma Città Aperta, Rome Open City, uh, in middle school. Uh, I remember just that. It was just sort of... I, I saw the movie and uh, it just stayed with me and I, uh, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do but the, the experience of seeing that movie was, life was, a, was a little bit life-changing. Um, and uh, yeah, so I don't know if anyone else wants to. Uh, I grew up in a family where which we were watching movie always and our parents were taking us to, to watch movies of many different kinds. On Italian TV, when I was uh, pretty young, we could see from Eisenstein to... There were a lot of nice, interesting uh, film um, critics who were running interesting programs. So we were watching <laughs> also, even if we were very young, very child, a uh, very complex, complicated film. And then our, my grandmother was taking us to see funny film just to balance the, the, the experience. So I grew up knowing cinema. So it was something that I, I knew from, from when I was very little that I, not that I wanted to make film, but was to me familiar watching movies and very different movie, one from the other. Um, come, eh, come Beth, anche io vengo da una famiglia che eh, amava molto il cinema, uh, mia madre soprattutto, e vedeva molti film a settimana. Uh, insomma, quando era possibile andavamo a vedere tutto, tutte le prime e mi portava, ero bambina, io mi ricordo, insomma che andavamo, l'accompagnavo, a volte eh, mi ha fatto entrare anche a vedere dei film che non, che non avrei dovuto, fingeva lei eh, che fosse un po' più grande, e, però a un certo punto c'è stato un film che mi ha fatto capire che il, il cinema era qualcosa di, di speciale, eh, io amavo molto leggere e, e pensavo che appunto il, il cinema fosse una, un modo eh, per... Eh, per appropriarsi di, di storie, per conoscere delle storie diverse, in maniera lineare. Eh, poi, eh, grazie alla televisione italiana, perché, come diceva Betta, eh, quando io ero ragazzina era veramente... Eh, si poteva vedere di tutto, vedevamo delle, dei film meravigliosi. Eh, una sera eh, mi è capitato di vedere l'anno scorso a Marian Bad di, di Alain René. E fu una folgorazione perché capii che eh, il cinema poteva raccontare eh, il tempo i, in una maniera non lineare e lì ho capito che, che era qualcosa di magico e eh, che io in qualche modo avrei voluto eh, vivere fino in fondo le esperienze e le emozioni che il cinema regalava non sapevo ancora come e, e poi vabbè la, la, Insomma, sono diventata una giornalista, un critico cinematografico, ma ecco, il cinema, il cinema va, è diventata la mia strada vedendo quel film. Um, as Beta was saying, 
I had a similar experience. My family was a cinema-loving family, and in particular, my mother was truly passionate, and she would go watch premieres all the time, and she would take me with her, even when I was a small child. Sometimes I ended up seeing movies uh, that I shouldn't have seen at that age, and she would pretend I was older than I actually was. As a kid, I loved reading, and I thought that cinema was a great way to tell stories or to have special access into a story. But up until then, I was used to linear storytelling. And then, thanks to Italian television, as Betta was saying, Italian television um, in the past used to show amazing films. And one night, I um, happened upon a wonderful film that struck me like a lightning. And it was um, Last Year in Marienbad by Alain René. And as I was saying, it's something that shook my whole being. And it showed me that um, cinema would allow one to approach a story in a non-linear way. And it was magical for me. And I wanted to be immersed in that as much as I could. I didn't know what I would end up doing in the film industry. And I ended up being a journalist and a film critic. But I did know that cinema was going to be a part of my life forever. Io personalmente non avrei mai, mai, mai immaginato di fare cinema e l'ho fatto assolutamente per... Uh, mi è capitato. Uh, nel senso che uh, andavo a cinema da, da bambina, ci sono dei film che mi hanno colpito molto, dei film tipo Incompreso, uh, oppure uh, Giamburrasca, oppure uh, Viaggio nel corpo umano, cioè mi piaceva molto il cinema, ma non, non avrei mai immaginato di farlo. Ma quando ero uh, adolescente ero proprio una, una ragazza irrequieta che non sapeva che cosa, non riuscivo a capire che cosa avrei, sarei potuta diventare. Non, uh, ero proprio così, um, sbandata e non capivo che cosa poteva succedere di me. Però succedeva questo, che quando ero, uh, mi fidanzavo come una specie di Zelig, io diventavo oh, quel, i, i sogni dei miei fidanzati. Eh, cioè, eh, incontravo un rappresentante di vestiti e facevo la modella. Incontravo un, uh, ho incontrato un fotografo e ho iniziato a fare la fotografa e qui già la cosa mi, 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 mi iniziava a piacere. Poi ho incontrato uh, un giovane operatore che voleva fare un regista e ho detto, scusate, se vuoi fare il regista... Quindi nella volontà di eh, come dire, realizzare il sogno di un altro sono partita per Roma e ho iniziato a fare questo mestiere. Devo dire, l'ho fatto per qualcun altro, però è proprio mi sono trovata in una situazione che ero proprio a mio agio. Cioè a scuola io andavo malissimo, invece a cinema, sulla qualche presa, mi, mi sono trovata molto comoda e quindi... Eh, quello che vi posso consigliare è di fare delle cose per gli altri perché poi ti ritornano tre volte di più. Grazie. Personally, I never um, thought I would end up being a filmmaker or producer working in cinema. I just happened on it. As a kid, I would go to the cinema. I would watch movies uh, such as Incompreso or Giamburrasca or Viaggio nel Corpo Umano. And uh, I never imagined that that would end up being my life. As I was a troubled teenager. I had no idea what I would end up doing. I was off and I really, you know, I had boyfriends and I would... Mm, 
be like Zelig and I would turn into the dream of the person I was with. So if I was dating somebody who um, was selling clothes, I would be a model. And then I ended up meeting a photographer and I became a photographer. I liked that. And then I ended up meeting an, a camera operator who dreamt of being a filmmaker. And he wasn't quite making it, but I thought I could help him. And so I went to Rome and I started getting involved with the film industry. And I ended up finding a space that really worked for me. Um, I was never a good student at school. I was never happy. But on a film set, I found the right uh, environment for me. So my suggestion to all of you is... Um, if you want to do something, do it for others. By doing something for others, you might end up finding what truly works for yourself. Perfect. Answer, Vilma, we have not heard from you. Do you want to share your... Vilma, ci vuoi raccontare anche tu che cosa ti ha portato a amare il cinema? Purtroppo non ho sentito, mi dispiace. Non sento molto bene, I can't hear you. Vilma, ci vuoi raccontare che cosa ti ha fatto innamorare del cinema? Sì, Beh, durante l'infanzia io sono la quarta di due genitori molto adulti, la quarta figlia. Avevo, quindi passavo moltissimo tempo con i miei due fratelli maschi che sono molto più grandi di me e loro andavano al cinema, andavano mh, alla sala parrocchiale del quartiere a vedere dei film western mi portavano qualche volta, a patto che io non chiedessi mai di essere portata al bagno. <ride> <ride> Però ho passato molti anni nella, in questo cinema molto simile a, a quello di Nuovo Cinema Paradiso, cioè con una partecipazione molto vivace della sala, del pubblico e a vedere molti film western, quindi ho maturato anche appunto durante l'infanzia un rapporto col cinema americano. Detto questo eh, ho cominciato a fare cinema grazie a una ricerca che ho fatto durante gli studi universitari mi chiesero di fare di trovare dei libri in biblioteca per un documentario che stavano preparando. Uh, io mi ricordo che lavoravo in biblioteca e poi andavo in questa redazione del documentario dove tutti si, mi sembrava che si divertissero come pazzi. Avevano i piedi sul tavolo, fumavano non avevano orari, e mi sembrava un posto estremamente interessante. Poi un giorno alle sei e mezza di mattina mi telefonano, non c'erano i cellulari, era un telefono fisso, e mi dicono 
vieni con noi e andiamo a girare, sei stata brava a fare la ricerca e quindi mi portarono a fare le riprese, ero molto giovane e le riprese consistevano in questo, erano appunto gli anni 70 e, e in Italia c'era un movimento molto importante che si chiamava Psichiatria Democratica che metteva in discussione molto fortemente il, il servizio sanitario che si occupava delle, delle malattie mentali dei pazienti. Quindi il documentario consisteva in questo, nel portare a fare una gita i pazienti di un padiglione di un ospedale molto psichiatrico che è stato molto famoso a Roma e che si chiamava Santa Maria della Pietà. Il padiglione era il padiglione numero 17 e questi pazienti non uscivano dall'ospedale da 25 anni. E io fui assegnata al pullman con i pazienti. E erano i matti e quindi mettevano molta paura e sono stata molti giorni con loro durante le riprese del documentario ho provato delle emozioni così potenti e così profonde che mi hanno primo molto segnata secondo convinta che quello era il mestiere che io avrei voluto fare. As a child, I was the fourth daughter out of two parents who was uh, who were much older. Uh, so I spent a lot of time with my two older male brothers and they used to go to the cinema a lot. Uh, this cinema was in my neighborhood. It was a little church cinema. And my brothers would just watch westerns. And they would mm, drag me along only on condition that I would never ask to be taken to the bathroom. And um, then after you know, spending many years in, in this cinema, uh, which was very similar to what you see in Nuovo Cinema Paradiso, Uh, where all the spectators are deeply involved with what is going on. So it was a great community, and I saw lots of Westerns. And, um, you know, so I, became, I, I loved that already. But I actually started working in the film industry because when I was in college, I was assigned a research project, and I was asked to go find books to do research for a documentary. And so I'd spent weeks and weeks on, on a library to find all this material. And then occasionally I would go and see the office where they were putting together this documentary. And it seemed like a, such a fun place to me because people were sitting there with their feet on the table. They were smoking. There was no real schedule. They would come and go. I thought it was a fascinating place. And then one day, uh, back then there were no cell phones, so at 6.30 a.m. I get a phone call on my landline, and they're telling me, get dressed, come with us, uh, we're going to go shoot, and you've been so good with your research that we want to bring you along. 
So the shoot was actually, well, it's back in the 70s, and there was a, a movement at the time which was known as democratic psychiatry. And that movement was challenging what the national healthcare system was doing in terms of mental health. And the documentary was uh, about a situation in a ward uh, for in a mental health uh, hospital in a psychiatric hospital known in Rome as uh, Santa Maria della Pietà. And we were shooting in ward number 17. And the patients in there were patients who had not left that facility for 25 years. So I was assigned to the bus with the patients. And they were all crazy people that were fear-inducing, and I loved them. I spent days and days with them. And the emotion I felt was so deep and so powerful that it left a deep mark in me and it convinced me that that was going to be my job for life. Thank you. Great story. Um, and I, I just have to comment the Westerns. You will see her film uh, in, in a minute or two. Uh, there is a quality of a Western in Trieste, <laughs> in you, to your film, I can I can see that. Um, thank you all very much uh, for uh, being here for this uh, wonderful discussion. Uh, I think this is all the time we have. Thank you. Vilma, stiamo concludendo, e adesso il pubblico vedrà il tuo film. Se vuoi dire qualcosa per presentare il film, a te la parola. Non ho sentito purtroppo. Eh, il gruppo di discussione è finito. Il pubblico adesso sta per vedere il tuo film. Se vuoi dire qualcosa per presentare il film, a te la parola. Grazie. Dunque, questo film ehm, devo dire che mi ha molto coinvolta e molto segnata, ma non è una novità. Io non ho fatto molti film, ci metto molti anni per fare un film e quindi tutti mi segnano e tutti lasciano un... un un'impressione dentro di me molto forte, molto potente eh, anche se non sono perfetti anche se magari sono anzi assolutamente imperfetti eh, forse è molto molto banale dire che mh, i film eh, per alcuni tipi di donne sono anche dei figli e questo è un film in cui io ho stabilito un rapporto molto profondo con la protagonista perché lo ritenevo necessario perché è una storia eh, che per un'attrice soprattutto giovane e poco esperta come lei era importante che si sentisse molto protetta e molto ricoperta proprio affettivamente 
e, e quindi ho cercato di, essere, di esserle molto vicino anche perché il film eh, racconta di una mh, maternità conflittuale e, e forse lei è stata l'attrice che si chiama Alma Noce, una figlia che non ho mai avuto, la figlia che non ho mai avuto. Uh, non, 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 non vorrei dire molte cose sul film che state per vedere, non vorrei men che meno raccontarvelo. Uh, Posso dirvi solo una cosa che, di cui sono molto sicura, molto certa, che eh, la protagonista è una ragazza giovanissima che quando ha fatto il film era completamente inesperta ma che ha molto talento e che farà molta strada. This is a movie that um had a deep impact on me and this is no news because um any movie I make uh has that impression on me because uh, I'm not somebody who makes many movies um I I take a long time in between movies so all of them uh, leave a deep mark in me even when they're not perfect, absolutely when they're imperfect. Um, so I think it's quite mm, self-evident to say that um, films for a certain kind of, of, of woman end up being the children uh, that she may or may not have. And this is a movie in which I have created a very deep relationship with the protagonist. Um, I believe that it was fundamental to proceed that way. This is a story in which the lead actress is a very young woman uh, who was not experienced uh, at all at the time. And I felt it was deeply necessary for her to feel protected, to feel covered by affection. So I tried to do anything I could to be very close to her. Also, this film tells a story of a conflictual motherhood, and she, the lead actress, uh, her name is Alma Noce, ended up becoming the child I never had. I don't want to tell you um, much more about this movie because you're about to watch it. There's one thing that I'm quite certain about. The lead actress, who was a very young girl, and very um, naive and uh, lacked a lot of experience when she shot this movie, is extremely talented and she will go a long way. WISIP is the first international project aimed at promoting Italian cinema written, produced, and directed by women, which is also available in an accessible version. It was selected as a special project by the Italian Ministry of Culture. Fred Film Radio, 24-7 on fred.fm and smartphone apps.